Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode 16 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and delighted to be reunited with Ash, Billy, Rosa and Tom after we missed last week's episode because, well, we were totally fed up with football and felt like the last thing anyone needed was more people moaning about Tottenham Hotspur. So we kind of worried that this episode would be even moanier. However, it's going to be joyous. That is, of course, because on Saturday night, Tottenham somehow beat champions Man City 3-2 with another last gasp winner. We'll cover that. We'll preview the Burnley and Leeds games. We'll catch up on Spurs women while they're on an international break. And we will, of course, hand over our weekly culture picks. So let's first settle in for the good stuff. Man City 2, Spurs 3, Rosa. Can you kick us off, please? What did you love about that utterly ridiculous game of football? I'm more than happy to kick us off because I loved literally everything. I'm not going to be greedy and just like have a little list of all my points. But (laughs) what a night. What a night. Um, I so obviously watched it with my partner, Ollie, and he is normally the most like cockeyed optimist ever. But even he was just like, it's not happening today. We're not going to get a result. I'm like, maybe, you know, maybe like 4-1. And I was like, oh, God, okay, if even he doesn't think it's going to happen, then this is a pretty bad sign. And then as the night unfolded and we're all just gradually losing our shit more and more, there was just nothing that I didn't love, even to the point of like, normally if I'm re-watching a game, re-watching highlights, I kind of don't want to see the goals that we conceded or like the penalties. But I'm like, Do you know what? Give me more. Give me more. Like I'm more than happy to see um, like Mares like pump his fist and De Bruyne do his like embarrassing, this is our house style stuff. I'm like, just give it to me. Inject it all straight into my veins because There's nothing so (laughs) joyous and glorious as winning in that way in the last minute 
at the champions and I know we do have that sort of weird hex over them like we basically are their Newcastle which is wild but even so I think it just shows particularly do you know what um, do you know what is the most pleasing thing to me I think is I think it shows how like utterly deranged the narrative has been around Spurs over the last week I know we were pretty miserable we're allowed to be we're fans I think mm. The whole media narrative has got completely out of control. And I feel like Conte really appreciates that. And just to have that night, I'm going to, do you know what? I will shout out Hugo actually, because there was a bit of like drama in various groups over the goal that um, we conceded, which I don't think was as bad as it looks. But I don't want to kind of hash that out now. What I do want to say is that save from Gundogan was absolutely fucking incredible. And that's why he's our captain that's why he's our guy so I'm kind of happy to leave the rest of it for you guys but that was just that summed it up for me like you think we're down and out you think our captain's rubbish we're not we're back it's such a good time to be spares yes that is why we waited a week to record (laughs) um Ash give me your give me your good stuff in fact Ash the first thing I want to talk to you about is um one of our new signings, uh, Dayan Kulazewski or Deki or Kulu or whatever it is we're supposed to call him. We can't be certain. We actually did a, we put a poll out on our hometown glory in uh, Twitter um, asking whether um, people are going to stop calling him Kulu after um, Spurs, the Spurs account have started using Deki and apparently that is what he prefers to be called. Um, so we asked, we asked you the people, 45.7% said they're going to be going with Decky now. However, 54.3% of the uh, 2,192 people that voted are sticking with Kulu. So uh, we're going to be sticking with Kulu, I guess. Um, although saying it out loud doesn't sort of sound as good as how it looks written down. So maybe we'll just call him Kulazewski. So I've sort of feel like I've learned how to say it now. Anyway, Ash, you, like most of us, thought Kulazewski was rubbish after the first... <laughs> <laughs> the first couple of outings we saw from him, um, I was a bit worried that he was also potentially going to be a bit rubbish. However, we've all done a bit of a 180. And Ash, I want you to talk about that. I think most people are rubbish. So um, that's <laughs> not saying a lot. But um, yeah, he was really good. And probably the best bit of the match wasn't the sort of ice cold finish, like for the first goal, which was mad because he sort of just walked off like nothing had happened, but the sort of run in the 95th minute um, was amazing to have that stamina. And it's just, it's interesting because if that was sort of Le Celso or Ndombele, are they going to make that run? Probably not because they probably wouldn't be on the pitch because they wouldn't have lasted mm. 95 minutes. So like, yeah, it was an amazing moment. And like, I think, I don't think any of the players really put like much of a foot wrong, like all game. And he was just perfect. So yeah, he's made me look a right mug, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to be made, made to look stupid because he was excellent. So, yeah, long may that continue. I saw a tweet by uh, Lily White Rose, um, big Spurs account, and they spoke about the fact that when you've got um, Ndombele and Lo Celso, even if they did start a match, you would basically have to factor in subbing them off after, like, an hour, 65 minutes. So you would know that two of two of your substitutions were basically going to have to be used up on getting them off the pitch and having people that could run around. Whereas now, 
I mean, we've seen Ben Tanker is seemingly up to speed straight away. Kulisevsky, like you say, Ash, 95 minutes was creating the winner. I mean, I, rem- I even remember I, I watched some of the game back earlier, but the 99th minute or whatever preposterous added time the ref allowed to play, he was like, the, when the final whistle finally went, he was chasing down a sort of clearance and hammering after Cancelo yeah. or someone in the corner. He was he was unreal. Yeah, he's the one who makes sure that they don't get the ball back right at the end. Because, mm. yeah, we're all freaking out, just thinking, is this ref just going to carry on adding time until they score a goal? And Kulu's like, not today, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of, um, certainly in our text group, there was a fair bit of kind of tinfoil hat over the amount of extra time that the ref added. Um, Billy, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? Like it was, it was getting on for like a hundred minutes. Yeah, it was like that was one of the things I was going to say. Actually, is like they were like everyone seemed to be like desperate for Man City to score the winner, which I think made it so much sweeter. And I know um, it's been talked about a lot on social media, but like Craig Porson's reaction is absolutely mental, and which makes it even weirder is that he's now been put in charge of our game against Leeds on Saturday. And um, yeah, I just I just think that made the winner so much sweeter. The fact that Anthony Taylor was pretty much giving them a hundred minutes to try and get another equaliser. As soon as they scored the penalty, like even the commentators were like saying, "Oh, there's still seven minutes left for City to get the winner." Um, but yeah, it's just so good to shut them up and uh, and do it again. Really, I think the commentators um, the commentator specifically said one thing we know for certain is City won't settle for a draw after City had equalised. And honestly, I was so over the moon when within a minute we were winning because the, you know, again, I don't like being a football conspiracy theorist, but it was like the commentary team wanted City to win and that they were desperate for the best team in the country to come good and beat us. Um, Just on the Kulu Kulu Deki name thing as well, I think Kuluzewski... Uh, it's going to be the new Toby Alderweireld in that every single person pronounces his name in a different way. Because I was so buzzing about the game, I watched uh, obviously the Sky live coverage, then Match of the Day, Peter Drury's commentary was going round. Um, I think I saw it on the 10 o'clock news. Uh, and every commentator pronounced his name in a totally different way. And that was very, um, always happened with with Toby as well. Um, we just looked so fluid, didn't we? That um, that front f- three compared to um, when we play Lucas, and I like Lucas a lot, but his kind of frantic, um, frantic nature kind of makes things a bit more different. Whereas, uh, yeah, Kulu looked great, and he's twenty-one, and so I guess can last that full ninety minutes. Although, and Dombele was quite young as well, but seemingly he could, <laughs> never could. Yeah, I think. Um... On the new signings, I know it's, it's still like really early days for all for both of them, um, but I think like Fabio Paratici, um needed some like big wins in the transfer transfers, and he's always unquestionably got one with Romero, who was just unbelievable. And I think like the rest of the world are like sitting up to the fact now that he's probably one of the best centre backs in the league. Um, he seems like he's a sort of just up there with like Van Dijk and. Um, Ruben Diaz as the very best centre backs in the league, and it was good to see like Jamie Carragher is like, already a massive fan of him. You can tell um, it was good to like he was proper cheerleading for Romero during the whole game, which was really cool. Um, <clears throat> but I think questions have been asked of Paratici, probably rightly as well, because you know he's got a couple of things wrong, like um, uh, Royal and 
Gill has gone straight back out on loan and Gallini doesn't look like he's up to it. So I think it was really important that the next signings that he made look like work straight away. And it's early days, but the early days, the early signs are really, really good. Um, and I just think that's three pieces of the puzzle that we've been missing for a while. We've really needed a really quality centre-back and we've got one now. We needed much more quality in midfield. And like Benson really showed it. And I, I don't think he had his best game for us. And obviously it's still, he's only like three or four games into it, but he gave the ball quite a lot in the first half. In the second half, he was unbelievable. And there are some just moments of like sheer quality, which really set him apart from our other midfielders. Like he, um, he did like some mad turn in the box when we were when we were defending and, and started a move. And obviously he was involved in the in the winner as well. So, and then Kulu, like we were saying, he just looks so much more comfortable on the ball than Lucas Mora does. I think like Mora, you know, we love him for his work rate. We love him um, and everything that he brings in that respect. But a lot of our attacks just break down with Lewis, Lucas Moore, like running into defenders and stuff. So I think it's going to really, those three signings are going to make a huge impact on our eleven. And like you just said, like they've come straight into the team and you just can't ask for more, really. Yeah, I think the the bravery that in particularly Romero and Bentacore show is something that we've really been lacking for a while. What is it that... That block that Romero makes, like after he, that was after he conceded the penalty, right? That's just like mm. astonishing to me. Like with our other players, you like that might have like caused them to like absolutely just like go into their shells and kind of make horrible mistakes, and just and and Bentoncourt did similar things, right? Just kind of was able to just kind of turn it, pass it out of defence, and I think the fact that they're they're not afraid, they're going to go for it, is something. It's not just the technical quality, which I think we found with those three players, but it is that confidence that we that we have really, really been missing for quite a long time. And I think actually this sort of run of away games might be quite good for us to kind of get that going, get that 11 kind of together and kind of functioning properly before we have to kind of bring it back to the sort of like moans and groans at the stadium, which have not really been very helpful. I don't think for the last few games, like fair enough, I'm not going to have a go at anyone for being miserable with what we've been served. But if that team can go on a little run away from home and bring that energy back, like that will be incredible. And like you say, Rosa, sort of become an 11 on the road, you know, sort of figure it out without the, Sort of, yeah, the moans and groans if a backward pass is played. Um, you know, just also bond, I guess. You know, they're, they're going to be sort of traveling around now pretty constantly for the next couple of weeks in various sort of northern outposts. So yeah, I guess it's good for the new boys to have this sort of setup. Um, Ash, I know perhaps the one downside to the, the game was that potentially. Well, I think you described it as like the the nicest move that Spurs have ever put together didn't result in a goal. Yeah, I, I thought it was a potential goal of the season, but the the Kane chance where he hit it straight at the keeper was, I don't know how many passes, but it was like, honestly, just beautiful football. And I think like the narrative that Sky and others like kind of put across was that City were sort of in full control. But I honestly think we played better football than them and we put like made the better chances in the game so yeah I'm, I'm really hoping I know we'll get on to the other games in a minute but I'm really hoping that like that's the level of football that we're going to play moving forward and that when we do sort of recycle the ball home moving forward that people are not going to moan as much which is mm. my pet hate really yeah and I think um like I think it's like the first time for what like we saw it last year at Inter 
like these things that are straight off the training ground. And I think it's the first time in a while we've like properly seen it under Conte. Like that first goal was like, mm. you know, it's just straight from the training ground. And um, and I know Conte has Instagrammed it today, but um, there's this kind of like false narrative going around that we were playing counter-attacking football, but all of our goals came from our own volition. It, they weren't counter-attacks. Um, yeah. They all came from like, we started the moves ourselves. Um, and yeah, I just think it's really, really good. Like we're finally sort of, that was a, probably our most content performance we've ever given since he's been here and like those videos last year that we always go around of like watching into like their um the patterns of attack that they do like we we're finally getting to see it at Tottenham as well um yeah really good the fact that we scored that goal in what the 95th minute after conceding a penalty and Kane's header was the 13th touch you know there were 12 passes before that it's just I mean, that's probably the longest sequence we'd had all match. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, Tom, was there any, anyone else catch you right? I feel like also we've been talking about this match now for probably 15 minutes. So we've not actually mentioned Harry Kane. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to say is that we barely mentioned Kane, which is amazing <laughs> because I listened to a, a general football podcast uh, earlier and all they were talking about was Kane. And it was kind of annoying because they were already framing it as mm. uh, he's not won anything yet and does he need to leave? And I'm like, oh my Jesus Christ. He's like barely had any brilliant performances this season it's and better when he was terrible we didn't exactly. have to hear all that <laughs> but no that it is that weird dichotomy where he's been underperforming but perhaps the reason we're late to talk about him on this podcast is because we know he can do that mm. like he is so so good when he's on that form and I think that was his best game in how long I think Ash mentioned United away under Jose like it really was his um his best game in forever and he was totally unplayable he ran the show and as other as media have noted he was the uh you know he dropped deep to start moves and then was scoring the goals as well it was brilliant he was unbelievable he just looks I think the fact that he looks that much fitter now you know he can almost almost start the moves and then he can he can finish them off as well um Ash I actually think it's probably the best Kane performance ever. Like, I think it was that good. I mean, like, the other ones that you can talk about are probably, like, there's a few Arsenal games or maybe the Chelsea New Year's Day game, but I think it's probably better. Like, in the context of, like, you're away at City, who are the best, like, team, one of the best Premier League teams ever, like, at the Mm. height of their form under one of the best managers of all time to, like, do what he did. And, like, you forget he, like, he missed a one-on-one chance and had a goal disallowed, which was like a really close offside goal, which pre-VAR would have stood. That that disallowed goal was so annoying. Like I get there was, you know, it's an offside. I, I sort of feel like we've all been gaslit by these like ridiculous decisions that that one now looks reasonable to me in a way. But it anno- <laughs> it's one of those goals that I feel like it shouldn't, he had so much work to do even after that. Do you know, that was like a classic Kane goal of still having to kind of like dig it out and turn around to get the shot away. So I'm, I'm almost like he kind of, that to me is more of a solo effort. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I think Ash is probably right, really. I always think of like the 5-3 at Chelsea where he really kind of announced himself. But I think this is probably his best performance, like this iteration of Kane mm. as the sort of playmaker forward that he is now. And it's and it was when we really needed him most as well, right? We needed We needed that performance. We needed that victory. He, he led the team in a way that I don't know that I've really seen him 
I mean, of course, he has put us on his back a lot, but he was like, well, you're not it was losing a real today. fuck you performance, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was incredible. Really loved. <laughs> yeah, and I think this game has made me realise how much I hate VAR. Um, for two, like, <laughs> it, one... it only took this game. <laughs> yeah, and um, like I think um, for two reasons. One, like if that the, the Kane goal was given, I don't think you'd get like many Man City fans being like, "Oh, it's miles offside." Like it was so close to being onside, and he did, he wasn't really getting much of an advantage over it, which is what the offside law was supposed to be mm. for in the first place. But then when he scored the winner. Um, when Kudusevsky set up the window, like he didn't celebrate, he was like terrified. I think he was like <laughs> speaking to the bench. And, like, he's a twenty-one-year-old new strike, uh, new signing, and he can't celebrate a goal um, in the ninety-fifth minute because of VAR, and that's just pathetic. It's like, what are we actually doing this for? Like, has it improved the game at all? And I don't think it has. I think it's ruined the product. Um, it's just like it, even as fans, you kind of like second get, guessing yourself all the time until it's like confirmed. It's just it's not the same, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I, there's no way I celebrated that goal as wildly as I otherwise would have done because I was just like, is it like, is this actually happening? Is it going to be given? So, and all right, like I, like I think I did admit already that might have been partly because I was already like hiding in the bedroom, like getting my toddler ready for bedtime. <laughs> but still, gonna... my point stands. VAR, I agree, VAR is terrible. And while we've benefited from it, like enough now, just. Take it away. I mean, we've had a real roller coaster with VAR at that stadium as well, right? It's been largely amazing for us, but yeah, it threatened to undo all that lovely stuff. Um, one one last thing I was going to talk about with City was just I feel like there are certain games which really capture the roller coaster of just supporting not just Spurs but a football team and you know conceding a last what felt well what was or what seemed like a last minute penalty equaliser before then going on and winning the game in deeper into added time is just about, you know, the sort of, well, it's not even a dictionary definition of roller coaster because it's just so ridiculous. But how did we all cope? Tom, how, what taught me through your emotions from sort of, you know, the, our third goal not being given through VAR and sort of that sinking feeling where like, oh no, that's three, one was what we needed to then the pen, to then getting the winner. How, how did you cope? Well, when they um, got the penalty and equalised, I just had to have a talk to myself. My, like, I was also <laughs> looking after my two kids who were wrecking the living room while I was trying to watch the football. My wife was out. And I just had to sort of repeat to myself, you would have been happy with a draw. When they, mm. when they got that penalty, I was like, a point's fine. We've taken four points off them this season. Um, yeah, I just had to have a real word with myself and I knew that I'd be in a terrible mood with the kids if I, if I didn't as well. But yeah, thank, thank Christ uh, we, then, we then won it. There's a few players as well we kind of haven't mentioned who were very good. Dyer hasn't had a mention. He was excellent. Thank God he's back with Romero. Um, Son's cutback for that first goal was kind of unbelievable, really. I thought he'd kind of overrun it but he very calmly cut it back to Decky um, and Pierre uh, that when he mm-hmm. took out KDB when he took out De Bruyne that was potentially the best moment of the match for me because and I, think, I agree I loved it so much oh my god <laughs> it was so good because uh, yeah 
De Bruyne was just breaking, running so fast at us. It was a really good chance and around the halfway line. Pierre just took him out and knew he was going to take, get a yellow card for it. That was like so good. And I think at least one piece today has noted that we're getting better at the dark arts. Um, yeah, Dan, Dan Kilpatrick's story in the standard sort of noted that, which yeah, I enjoyed we, reading. Yeah, did to get better at, at that. I think, you know, Pierre took that yellow, which was brilliant. And also we... We wasted some time when we were mm. up as well. And I mean, I was at that Wolves game at the ground and oh my God, Wolves were driving me mental. Yeah. Time wasting. Um, so yeah, that was, it was good to see us uh, get our own back there. And Pierre had a really good game, I thought. Oh, yeah. Pierre looked, looked really good. It was, yeah, hopefully just that one game he sat out has kind of given him a bit of a battery recharge and maybe sort of refocused himself. And yeah, you're right to call out Dyer, Tom. He was magnificent, I thought. Um, I saw a stat. He So Dyer's last 10 games that he's featured in for us, six wins, three draws, one defeat, five clean sheets. I mean, you just can't really overstate his importance to particularly that back three. I think having him right in the middle with his organisational abilities, with his leadership, with his passing. And I think, I think Romero's proved as well that Right-hand side is where I think he's going to thrive. Um, anyone else, anyone wants to call out? Rosa, you've not mentioned Ben Davis yet, which is extraordinary. We've been talking for nearly half an hour. I mean, you know, what What else is there to say, really? Just another <laughs> magnificent performance. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, um, I'm obvi- like, again, obviously, I'm very pleased. Um, he, uh, it was his pass for the, Oh God, I can't remember which goal it is now. I really feel like I should have gone back and looked. The disallowed, I think it was the disallowed one. Disallowed, yeah. So, um, like, yeah, annoying on on that level as well. But I just, I think that back three is is great. To be honest, I feel um, it's it's so it is so delightful to see Dyer just really like he. It's mad how he is actually the key, like mm. because actually. Oh, you know, obviously, poor old Sanchez is, you know, back on the naughty step now. But he was also calmer when he played next to Dyer as opposed to Romero. Like, I think I sort of thought Romero was going to be the more kind of commanding presence in the centre of defence. But actually, it's turned out to be Dyer and Romero can kind of do more sort of slightly kamikaze things Mm. um, on the right side, which works really well. Like, Dyer's a sort of calm one and Romero can kind of be slightly more aggressive. And it's just... It's a beautiful thing to see, really. I feel like um, the midfield as as well. I'm not really worried about any sort of sloppiness in like possession, um, misplaced passes, losing the ball, because that's just like that is the most pressure they're going to come under all season, except I guess for Liverpool away. Yeah. Still to come. Can't wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> let's um let's stick to this one. Um, in fact, let's move on. Not to Liverpool away, but to Burnley away. Slightly different prospect. Um, who we face midweek. Um, Burnley are nineteenth. They're five points from safety, but with two games in hand, they are thirteenth in the form table. If you look at the last six games. Um, and they, of course, beat Brighton 3-0 away in their last game, which was incredibly only their second league win of the season and ended a 12-game winless run in all competitions. Um, they lost 1-0 to Liverpool at home before that, drew 1-0 with United before that, 2 nil nil draws with Watford and Arsenal and lost 3-1 to Leeds. So they've had a real mixed bag of form, but do seem to be 
coming alive, um, largely down to a couple of things. Uh, Aaron Lennon sort of rolling back the years and looking incredible. Um, Corne coming back from uh, Africa Cup of Nations and looking excellent. And I think Billy described him as a six foot six cheat code, old big boot, uh, whoop beg horse, whose name I've completely butchered, um, who I'm really, really, really not looking forward to seeing tangle with our centre backs at corners and free kicks on Wednesday night. Billy, how are you feeling about Burnley away? Yeah, I mean, you can't not be confident about it after what we just saw at the weekend. Like, I think it's a big test of our character now because um we've got to go out and do that again and we've just got to get the three points that like we can't after the the last few couple of weeks we had we have to win this game um and we showed now we've got the characters to go and beat city so we you know we can't be coming into this game not wanting to win it so we have to win it um i'm really terrified about workhorse to be honest like he's like we've just played literally the, the best attacking team in the country or if, if not the world but i'm probably more scared about coming up against workhorse because i just think like we just how do you even defend against that? Like, what can you actually do? Like, like I was saying, it's just a cheat code. Like, I'd be interested to see what we do. I think it's like t- such a different game for Romero and Dyer than what mm. they had at the weekend. Um, so yeah, interesting to see how we do that. But I think we'll win it though. I think we will. We're going to have to just like take an early chance and then just just settle out, just get away from there with the three points. Really. Um, I read that the tallest Man City attacker that they had on the pitch was five foot eight um, on Saturday and. Their cost is what, like 10 inches tall <laughs> or whatever it is, which is extraordinary. Um, Ash, are you confident? And how do you think we'll, we will play? Because obviously, you know, you play against City, you have to, you know, you have to take chances. You make the most of possession when you get it. You're, you know, you know that you're not going to see tons and tons of the ball. I imagine Burnley will probably be happy to sort of give us possession, particularly if they've watched the Southampton and, uh, Wolves yeah. games. How, how do you reckon we'll handle it? Well, we should win, but like you said, I think the previous two home games, and I know we didn't do a podcast for various reasons, but it just depends what Spurs show up. And I, I'm really confused as to sort of like what kind of team we are and how good we are. And I think Saturday showed like, you know, we were incredible. And the previous two games, we were just all over the place. But I do feel confident if we start with the same 11. I think Dyer coming back really does change like the entire setup of the team. Um, and I think Bentoncourt and like the passing really does like open up opposition. So I do feel confident that we can win. Um, yeah, and we have to, like Billy says, we have to win because we just, we have to stay in the top four race. Mm. And yeah, I'm terrified though. I'm absolutely um. terrified. <laughs> Is it the biggest game of the season, Tom? I think it, yeah, I think it probably is. Um, like Ash said, I, like, genuinely, I was ready to throw my season ticket in the bin after Wolves and Southampton. We were, we were really, really bad. So we've got to build on the momentum of City. Um, yeah, Burnley's tough and that striker is terrifying. And then we've got Leeds at the weekend who are in a pretty bad place, to be honest, aren't they? Like, it may be the best time to play Leeds uh, in a long while. They just haven't been very good. And Bielsler's kind of lost his magic touch totally. Mm, they are. I can do my um, my little stat thing for Leeds as well, if you like. They are, um, their last six, 
six games puts them 11th in the form table. But their last two games, they've obviously lost 4-2 at home to Man United on the weekend and they lost 3-0 to Everton, who, you know, really look like a pretty average team at the minute. Um, drew three all the way at Villa the game before that, though, which was one of those sort of bonkers, could have gone anywhere games. Um, lost to Newcastle at home 1-0 but then they beat West Ham before that. So it's really, it's mad to sort of try and put your finger on which leads are going to turn up at the minute. Also that United game, that's kind of a weird sort of big derby for um, mm. Leeds, isn't it? Like the, the their fans love Leeds um, v Man United. So um, I think you can probably slightly discount that as well, really. I think yeah. one, good, one good thing I think about the Leeds game, sorry, but it's just really quick. I think that the fact it's not an evening game is massively helpful for us. It's an early kickoff. And I think that sort of, that Ellen Road is not the type of place you want to go to when, you know, it's floodlights, it's a proper atmosphere. I think those, being the away team for those like 12, 30 ridiculously early games are often, it's often very useful. Billy, how are you feeling about Leeds? Yeah, I think I've got like this weird mentality of Tottenham now. Um, I think like because Burnley have won the last game, I think that's actually good for us, which is kind of like a reverse of what you would expect. Um, so maybe they'll like be a little bit less up for it because they've just had a big win. They know that, you know, they're probably, you know, deep down, they know they probably shouldn't be beating us. Um, so I think that might help us. And I think like Guardiola said the same about us as well. I think sometimes it's actually harder to play against teams if they're going like a, a run of defeats because they need to win that much more. And Guardiola said that before our game. He said it's actually going to be really difficult to play them off the back of three losses because um, they're going to be so up for it. And I, I kind of feel like feel like the way like the reverse of that for Burnley. Um, but I know Leeds are in a bad run of form, but I you know I think they've got absolutely terrible injuries at the moment. So we, again, we just got to win it. Um, I think Bamford's out, isn't he? I think um, Rafinha's like in. He's like in. Yeah, Phillips is out, and Rafinha he doesn't seem to be playing. I think he puts him on the bench, which is a bit weird because um, he's by far the best player. Um, so I think you know, with their injuries, we've just got to win. We have to win, and it's what it's weird, isn't it? Because I remember last year we lost this game, lost this fixture. Um, badly, so yeah. Badly. Ryan Mason in charge, but we we have to win this one. Uh, if we get six points, I then say that we're back in the top four race. I think three wins from City, Burnley and Leeds would kind of make up for our two terrible home games. So um, I think we have to win both of them if we want to be serious about getting back into the top four race. I agree. Um, Obviously, we've got the games coming thick and fast. Rotation might have to come into it in terms of tiredness, etc. Are we expecting to see any changes for Burnley? Ash, would you do anything slash expect anything? I mean, I don't want to do anything, but I was going to bring that up because I know that like apparently Kane was like hobbling around after mm. the match. And I just wonder like at some point he's going to have to like miss a game. I just yeah. don't know how he's going to play every single game for the rest of the season. Plus, you know, fingers crossed we go, we go and do something in the FA Cup. He just can't play at that level every week and lead the line. So it's probably not, it's probably not Burnley because of, the nature of their defense um but i don't know maybe maybe leads for example he doesn't play and we like play a more fluid like front three but i i would like to keep it the same just off the back of that win like i'm still sort of hurting from the wolves game that really killed me i know yeah. um he has to start the same team doesn't he but i don't i think lucas against burnley 
could actually work quite well, potentially off the bench, just just for a bit of chaos. Um, uh, Burnley are so sort of big and well organised that we might just need Lucas to help break them down. You know, I think um, Doherty Doherty will play one of the two games. Um, I think people realise about Conte now is that like he's always changing the fullbacks, usually within the actual game itself as well. Um, <clears throat> I think it kind of gets a lot of weird reaction on Twitter when he, he's always like changing the fullbacks as one of his subs, but that's just what he does. Like all of our play goes through our fullbacks and Conte changes them all the time. So I think he's going to, if he's going to rotate somewhere, it's going to be the fullbacks. Um, obviously Reggie will hopefully be coming back from COVID. I don't know if he's back for Leeds, but I um, don't know if he's back for Burnley, but he should be back for Leeds. And like, I think Doherty might pl- play against Burnley, to be honest. I feel like um, Sessegnon's performance, I mean, I feel like poor old Royale's performances get, you know, kind of uh, mauled over most weeks. But Sessegnon might... I know, Ash, you, you you felt he did all right against City. I felt like he was definitely our weakest player, despite... I, I can't remember, actually, really willing a player on as much as I'm willing Brian Sessegnon on in his Spurs career. But I feel like he... Yeah, it... it the confidence isn't there for him and I worry maybe Burnley might look at how City were able to sort of out muscle him a lot of the time and try and bully him a bit on on their right side but you, you've got a bit more hope for Sessegnon than me I think yeah I mean like he did play a part in maybe this the first Kane goal and like really got around the pitch and he's sort of him and Reggion are the only ones that you feel like have got the raw ingredients to be to play sort of like that Conte role. So I'm still holding out hope, but I mean, I said in our text group earlier today, like all the fullbacks can go at the end of the season if they want, and we can just bring in new guys. Cause mm. yeah, none of them are like hundred percent the right, the right player for me, but I, I don't know that like, I do. Sessegnon's still young and I just want him to do well. And I don't know if it was Southampton when he sort of like walked the entire length of the pitch back to the bench and it was incredibly embarrassing for everyone involved having to like clap him the whole way around. But I did really feel for him. So I hope he does well. That was a, yeah, that was a pretty bad moment in a bad, was it Southampton or Wolves? It was quite early in Wolves, wasn't it? Didn't Kulisevsky come on when we went 2-0 down, I think. Um, yeah, I, I've just merged the... Yeah, like, they, they are just... I think the last 20 minutes of Southampton and the first 20 minutes of Wolves just belong in the same like dreadful pit of despair that I've locked away in my in my mind. Um, but I feel like we're all pretty everyone's pretty confident we're gonna win the next two matches then, yeah. Anyone anyone have any like genuine worries? Charlie, sorry, but we did say that about Southampton and Wolves as well. <laughs> I think you, sorry, Charlie, but you no. are the most confident, I, particularly I about Southampton. Would, I think I said that we would beat Southampton by like four or five goals. If I you remember did, rightly. yeah. I'm still you, angry about that. You did, so I'm making no like sweeping statement about Leeds and Burnley. <laughs> I just um I just can't wrap my head around the feeling that I have about Spurs now compared to the feeling I had when I walked out of the stadium. What was it last Sunday um, after the after the Wolves games? It's just absolutely incredible what football can do in ninety minutes because we were so abject in that Wolves game. It felt like we could have played for about four and a half hours and not scored a goal. Um, you know, the Southampton game just felt like any time Southampton went forward, they were going to score. We just couldn't keep them out whatsoever. Um, took the lead twice, still managed to, to 
throw it away to two identical goals within what was it two minutes of each other just one one mad season to have like matches like that up against you know Leicester away you know City away the kind of Conte games where yeah we've actually looked quite competent at times the Nuno era it's like this season just and it's like what have we got 16 17 games left I am concerned for all of our Health. We're all pretty confident. I'm not going to say anything stupid like we're going to win another match by four or five goals ever again for fear of jinxing like I did last time. Um, Tom is shaking his head in agreement that I should never do that. Rosa, Howie, just give me give me one last temperature check for these two games. Should should we be confident? Are you confident? I think it would just be really interesting to see what happens because I think what happened with City is that we obviously had a very, I mean, they all said it, right? We had a very clear game plan and kind of executed it to perfection. And Burnley are such, they're just a completely different kind of team. So I think that I'll be really, really interested to see, not even, not necessarily like, I think the first 11 is, seems fairly set, right? It's not about with the personnel, it's more about how we play because we were in our own half like so, so, so much against City, even even though I do feel like, you know, our goals came from us being on the front foot. Um, and it's just not, we're not going to be able to do that against Burnley particularly as well. And I think I'm sort of hoping against Burnley that we don't concede any sort of stupid free kicks or corners because that potentially will be a problem. But I think particularly now with Bentoncourt and Hoybier and Kulisevsky, I feel like that midfield has to com- has some control now and a way of kind of playing through that we haven't had for quite a long time. So I'm reasonably confident that we can come up with something against Burnley. Leeds, like again, that's like another sort of different challenge as well. Uh, we've also been struggling against sides that like really come for us and press. So, but again, I feel like if we have like a functioning midfield and also a solid defence, we should be able to overcome them really. I feel more confident about Burnley because they've been, because they've won. I'd like in like classic, like, you know, I'm not going to go all like, ugh, Dr. Tottenham because I hate that. But if they hadn't won, I'd be like, it's coming and it's going to be us. So I feel weirdly more confident now. Um, Leeds, like I'm more confident about being them. I feel like they're just, it's just that they're the sort of kind of chaotic and open team that we really should be able to like take advantage of, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, this is just, it's just another make or break week in like the life of Tottenham Hotspur, isn't it really? (laughs) We just never get to rest. There is no rest ever supporting this football club. Um, The other Spurs football team, uh, Spurs women, well, aside from all the kids team, Spurs women, the other sort of senior team, I'm just going to stop naming Spurs teams. Um, they've bounced back, much like we uh, we saw the men bounce back on Saturday in the last couple of games. Um, Rosa, tell us a little bit about the upturn in Spurs women for Spurs women's fortunes. They're on international break at the minute, but before that, and we obviously didn't record last week because we were um, sort of sat bitching and moaning about Tottenham. But we should have probably done a Spurs women special because they've been excellent. I know, I feel really bad. I was sort of, uh, yeah, I feel sort of like, oh, it's a shame that we, like, I obviously, I did not, I also didn't want to record, even though I was fully ready to just kind of go in and have like a full therapy session on like how we get through supporting our ridiculous club. But it's also a shame that we didn't get to talk about Spurs women because they are back. And I feel like 
um, we'd sort of written off their Champions League chances but actually they're really solidly in third now like you know nobody else has kind of like enough games in hand to make up the points as things stand it's so it feels like actually anything could kind of happen from here on in really um I believe that um Rianne Skin has been nominated for manager of the month as well so has, you know, yeah get voting everyone yeah, or don't because I'm because frequently those things are a kiss of death. <laughs> no, 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 no. So just leave her alone. Let her just get on with what she's doing. Um, but yeah, I feel it's just it's nice to have like another um, Spurs team that yeah, you just you don't want to write them off. I'm annoyed that we still haven't. It doesn't look like any of the um, Spurs women got called up for England, which is a bummer. But give it time. Give it time. That's coming. I think Ash Neville is nailed on to get a call up at some point. And I think she's been nominated for Player of the Month as well, actually, I think. Yeah, um, yeah she was, she's been brilliant. So I wouldn't be surprised. She scored a, yeah, she scored a terrific goal the other week as well, didn't she? she yeah. uh, she's, she's fantastic. Um, yeah, we all need to get down to the Hive slash the stadium soon because uh, I would love to go and check them out. And I'd love to take my daughter as well, who... Is um, was asking me about the women's team the other day and was really interested to learn that there is a Spurs women's team. So I think we should all do a bring your bring your daughters to Spurs Women Day. Um, I think they're ready. Think. You know, like um, my oldest daughter got like was super into the celebrations at, at the end on Saturday. My youngest like burst into tears when we celebrated um, at two one um, and was like, "Mummy, stop shouting." <laughs> And I had to be like, it's good shouting. I'm really happy. Um, but my oldest was like just thrilled with like the vibe, I think. So I'm like, I think I think we're ready. Let's do it. <laughs> my five-year-old was, my wife was also out, as I said. So it was just me. And I scared the two kids quite a lot when we scored, particularly the 20-month-old who has no clue what's going on at any time. Uh, but my five-year-old kept saying, at the end of the game, Tottenham have won for the first time ever. They've won for the first time ever. So clearly she's only ever taken notice when we've lost or, yeah, she just believes we're really bad and we never win. So anyway, she's ready for it now. She's ready for that life. She thinks we've only ever won once. Um, I had a really awful moment. Um, I mean, the whole few minutes after Kane scored the third goal, we had that sort of dreadful elongated period of added added time was bad enough uh before my three-year-old came over and she just for the first time in her life she I could see there was like really genuine concern for her dad she just said are you okay daddy is everything all right daddy and I just I didn't know what to say I couldn't sort of no it's not and it never will be again Delphine I couldn't, I didn't want to reveal what I was that concerned about because it's ridiculous and she's three and would rightly consider it ridiculous. But at the same time, you know, that will hopefully, what I was going to say, that will hopefully be her in the future. Do I want that for her? I don't know if I do want that for her. Um, let's move on to culture. Um, I think the first thing on the culture agenda and firstly, apologies to Rosa because she's not managed to see the first episode of the Kanye documentary on Netflix, um, Genius, but I think the rest of us have. Um, Ash, as our sort of in-house Kanye head, um, your your ver- give it give us your star rating first of all, and just your your, your thoughts about the first episode. 
Um, I've seen like a lot of music documentaries and it's one of the better ones that I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan and I think he's like the best artist of this generation. And it's just fascinating to watch. Not only does he like follow his sort of like dream of being, you know, a producer and a rapper, but his friend like quits everything and follows him to a city that he's never lived in or like really been to just to film him go on this journey, which is like a mad thought. Mm. Um, and you don't really usually get to see like an artist at the beginning of like their journey and have everything filmed. And I think one of the really interesting things is he's always, he hasn't changed in this time. And everyone sort of like often speaks of like Kanye's like mad moments, but you know, there's a moment where, someone disrespects him and he sort of like within an hour finds the person and like has a go at them about it and then makes friends in like 20 minutes later. And I thought that was really fascinating. And yeah, just seeing him sort of like making this first album, which is, you know, deemed to be a classic, like not only a rap album, but album period was just, it's amazing. It's honestly like an amazing documentary. I can't like speak highly enough of it. Um, so about three stars then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Out of 10, yeah. <laughs> um, Tom, you loved it as well, right? Yeah, I loved it. Um, and again, like Ash, I'm a massive fan. I've got T-shirts and uh, vinyl, and he's one of the artists I've seen the most live. I think he is definitely. Tom, I think you, I think you have more like fan slash label T-shirts than anyone I know, so I'm not sure if that's really a, like, a big thing. <laughs> I've got a really cool <laughs> Kanye one with uh, George Kondo, like the My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy with all the John George Kondo artwork. The, I've got the ballerina on a T-shirt with just Kanye West in massive letters on the back. Anyway, it's a really cool T-shirt. Anyway, that, is, that is a good one. That is a good one. It's a good one. Um, but, yeah, I'm a lapsed super fan because, you know, the flirtation or the the outward kind of uh, all out love for Trump, for example, was was kind of hard to take. The standing for president thing was pretty uh, insane. And I do think his creative output has suffered in recent years. I don't think recent albums are as good as that run of five or six, his first five or six albums, which was, you know, is pretty unparalleled in recent times. Anyway, the doc is excellent. His mum is amazing. You come mm. away loving his mum and you realise that things did go wrong for him when his mum died in really awful, awful circumstances. And yeah, you see, he always did have that amazing self-confidence. He always had that ego and believed that he was going to be a massive star. But I think perhaps back then more there were more sort of small bits of humility that came through. And when you see him with his mum, who really uh, is, you know, gave him that confidence, he it's so, so sweet. And we perhaps we haven't seen that Kanye in quite a long time. So that was that was really, really uh, beautiful to see. And it made me fall in love with him all over again, for sure. I'm almost like I'm well, I'm not almost I'm, I'm really scared about the next two episodes because I don't want to not spend time with that Kanye I'm scared about the Kanye that he sort of evolves into and um from yeah from what I've read I think it, the 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 film obviously gets trickier for the filmmakers because I think he sort of moves on from them a bit before bringing them back when he's in quite a dark place and um yeah fascinating to see how it evolves Billy um you've watched it as well right 
Yeah, yeah. I think like the situation around it is just mad, as I was saying. Um, like to have, I when you watch it though, you you can you kind of get gleams of, of why he did it. But to actually drop your whole career just to be thinking, right, I'm just going to go around filming this guy, and the footage of that is like when you normally get these music documentaries, they're normally sort of like halfway through when the guy, the person's already like a huge star already, and that's why they decided to make the documentary. I think it's the first one I've ever seen where they've like literally gone from the beginning just because they like bet on him being a star mm-hmm. i think i've told this story before but it reminds me of like this um when i was at the tottenham training ground when i was a kid and um chris hewton came up to me and he said to me you need to go and get that guy's autograph because he's going to be a big star uh, so i went up to him and it was it was toda <laughs> and uh, so i got his autograph it's like absolutely buzzing telling everyone at school this guy's gonna be massive and then i think he played like three games for us but uh, that is, it kind of reminds you of that faith that the, um I think what's his name? His name is uh Kudi, is it or something like that? Kudi, yeah. Yeah, Kudi. Yeah, yeah. The faith that he had in Kenya, I think, was the most fascinating thing. And also the bit where he's playing All Falls Down in the Rockefeller office is absolutely mental. Uh, that song was Grammy nominated, and they're just like basically ignoring it. And she's like taking phone calls during it. Well, I just saw I saw a tweet. I don't know if it was at I think it was someone that was working in the office at that time, and they said, like, you too would look a bit fed up if you'd had to shoot that scene 10 times, which is apparently what they did. And like the version they've used is the tenth time that they had to sit through Kanye rapping along to him playing his CD, um, which puts a slightly different tint on that scene. But um, Ash, go on. Were you going to say something? Yeah, else? no. I was going to say the only other doc music doc that I remember seeing where they filmed from like earlier was this doc called Dig, which is about the Dandy Warhols and Brian Jonestown Massacre, which are like two sort of like competing bands who are like friends. And I like really recommend that as well. It's mental. It's completely insane. But they sort of filmed their come up at the very beginning to like Dandy Warhols becoming this sort of like huge indie band and everything that happens in between. But yeah, like Billy said, it's so rare to like see it right from the beginning. It's it's a map. Sort of crossover in scenes as well, because like the Kanye one is very, although he moves to New York, it's very Chicago centric and um Dig's very sort of Detroit, isn't it? I think they've both come out of Detroit and that sort of slightly insular world that where they're, you know, these dueling artists and it only feels like there's room for sort of one of them to emerge out into the sort of national scene. feels very similar. Ash is right. Watch that. It's amazing as well. Rosa. Yeah, like obviously I I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, um, but I was quite thrilled to discover that Ash and I were at the same uh, 2004 Brixton Academy Kanye gig, <laughs> like many, many years before we met. What a show. Loved it so much. I always feel like with Kanye, um, like I don't think grief is something especially if it's like the grief of your if you're a grown-up and you've lost a parent I feel like that's something that lots of people don't take very seriously but it obviously just like completely unmoored him right yeah and you know I don't think he's got siblings right and he's his dad wasn't present so it really was just him and his mum yeah and the yeah and the line he don't there's a line in one of the songs isn't there that he moved her to LA she had liposuction, botched liposuction and died. Um, so it's a really awful, tragic story. Right. And then uh, there's like uh, levels of responsibility, presumably, that he would have felt. Yeah. I mean, that's what he says in the song. Yeah, he moved his mum to LA. She couldn't take the pressure and, and, and she died. And so he, yeah. And in that documentary, you see how much she means to him. It's really, um, 
yeah, it's really beautiful, but yeah, quite sad that you know, you know what's coming. Um, while we're on music docs, actually, I was just going to mention that I watched Summer of Soul, which is on Disney Plus. Uh, I think Ash mentioned it um, a while back. Uh, and it's so, so good. It's so much more than just a music documentary. It's kind of a um, history of the Black American experience and, and a snapshot of that time, 1969, I think. Um, and yeah, Questlove's up for best documentary at the Oscars for it. And I really hope he wins. I feel like we've quietly entered into a golden age of um, music docs at the minute. It's like just every month, it seems like something pretty trailblazing comes out. Yeah, and like one of the things I noticed, um, I mean, it's, it's no surprise to anyone who follow, has followed Kanye's career, but like, I think um, just like how insanely good as a producer he is. And I know the first part of the documentary is kind of like the whole journey of him battling his way from just being a producer and obviously the kind of main reason that they signed him was for his own so they could keep exclusive to his beats and you kind of see like um how much that the other rappers that he was producing for like relied on him and needed him and i think it's been really good the last couple of weeks i know we didn't get a chance to talk about this because we didn't do an episode last week um like the dr dre um super bowl thing it's like these are probably the two best ever, like Dre and Kanye. And like, it's just been a good reminder, like the amount of hits that these two produce is insane. And like last week we had it with Dr. Dre and the Super Bowl performance. And this week we've had it with Kanye and the Kanye documentary. Like I say they're one and two best producers of all, hip hop producers of all time. I, I don't really know which order between them, but it's just been good. Um, good little reminder of some of the in incredible amount of hits that both of them produced. Um, turns out we really should have recorded an episode last week. So there's loads of good stuff to talk about. We could have just made it a culture and Spurs podcast rather than the other way around for a week. Um, a lesson for future. Uh, let's move on to other culture picks. Rosa, what's your pick for this week? Um, am I allowed to have a couple since we didn't record last week? Of course um, you can. I'm, I'm just going to go anyway. Because um, <laughs> I, I was like, I was just like... Be when I didn't know that we weren't going to record, I was like, I need to just like have so, so, so much cultural content so that we can literally just do like all content and like all culture and then five minutes on Spurs. Um, I went to Tate Britain to what to go and see the um, Life Between Islands exhibition, which is um, British Caribbean art from the 1950s onwards, which was a really lovely exhibition, actually quite a lot of Stuff I feel like I've seen before, um, particularly the sort of photos of um, sort of Brixton um, back in the day. But it's a really interesting overview with lots of artists from, um, like for example, Guyana, like artists I didn't know about um, and movements that I wasn't really aware of. Um, it's sort of made me feel really that I'd like to be in a position where I knew where they were getting their contemporary work from really and that's the sort of world that I you know the sort of contemporary art world I'm not kind of super tuned into but there were lots of really interesting people and obviously there's still so much kind of back and forth um, and so much work being done that it would be there wasn't kind of a lot of room to do the stuff that's happening now and it would have been nice. I guess it's just that kind of thing where if you can kind of go back and, and have a look and sort of follow the threads, it would be interesting to do it because it was it was a very sort of wide ranging I mean, 1950s to now is like a, that's a lot of work. Um, but it's just it's a nice it's a really thoughtful exhibition. Um, 
it's not huge but actually there's a lot of stuff and I would quite like to go back and have another look and it's um the sort of exhibition catalogue is going to be on my birthday list I think um and then I finished watching Yellow Jackets which I know we've talked about before. oh you finished it oh my god I'm completely obsessed with it um I know that some people I think have felt that it kind of drops off a little bit around it's sort of around like episode like three or four I, I personally didn't feel that and I think it got stronger and stronger and stronger and it had the sort of perfect combination of sort of weird like very plot driven mystery with loads of kind of threads you could follow um, if you're into that and then also kind of super sort of psychological torment stuff which I am obviously particularly interested in <laughs> um, and then finally um, I read that's why you're um, a Spurs fan exactly that's what I'm here for and I read um, a marriage memoir by Heather Havrilevsky who I've talked about on the pod before she's like an advice columnist and she writes very amusingly about marriage and the idea that if you're if you're kind of committed to the idea of marriage and you're like this is the person that I want to be with then the kind of only way you'll know if you're really successful is when one of you dies (laughs) which is you know sort of bleak and funny and also true so it's it's just like a nice interrogation of the sort of concept of what it's like to be with someone and to be sort of massively in love with them but to also be sort of stuck with all of their like tics and foibles and like quirks you know for the end of your days (laughs) she was like if you get to the end of this book you will not want to be married to either of that either of us and I'll have done my job and I'm like well I don't really feel like that I feel like you're both pretty charming and funny and it's a pretty sort of accurate overview so and that's called foreverland those are some diverse picks you've offered up there rosa i had Um, a lot to do i was like very busy not thinking about spurs so i was like how do i fill my time it's amazing how productive and um sort of diverse your cultural output can be when you're not thinking or reading or listening um to football um ash any other picks for you this week well, yeah, I I watched this thing on Disney Plus by this. He's sort of like a performance artist come magician called Derek Delgadio. And um, the show is called, sorry, it's called In and of Itself. And it's like an hour and a half. And I actually recommend it to a few people. And some people responded like saying it's incredibly emotional and they cried and thanking me for like recommending and others like just responded saying why the hell would I recommend it and it's the worst thing they've ever seen so <laughs> I'm not sure if it's good or bad but um it uh, like yeah it just blew me away it's just really fascinating and I I want to recommend it to as many people as possible what's so interesting about him I don't it's hard to it's hard to explain without giving too much away but it's like okay he's storytelling and his audience involvement and there's magic throughout that's all I can say without so a bit, a bit like a kind of a sort of modern day Paul Daniels perhaps yeah exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> um Tom over to you for your pick please I need to see the exhibition that uh, Rosa just mentioned because I saw Labena Himid at Tate Modern and I didn't love that I'll be honest um so uh, yeah I need to see that um mm, 
But it would be remiss of me not to mention Cabaret because I think I teased it. I teased my return to the theatre. I'm doing Jazz Hands again uh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I'm doing Jazz Hands on the Zoom we're on. Uh, so, yeah, I went to see uh, Cabaret at the Kit Kat Club, which is actually a theatre uh, just off the Strand. And, yeah, it was amazing to be back at the theatre after two or three years and to, like, feel that buzz of being in London and seeing a just Oscar-nominated actress, Jessie Buckley, um, who I think... You, is, lo you love Jessie Buckley, don't you, as well? She was, she was so, so good in, in, in Cabaret, um, and it was just cool. Like, seeing a, an actress who, like, two days before I'd found out she was Oscar-nominated was really cool. Uh, she was great. Both the male leads were not amazing, Eddie Redmayne being one. He kind of... <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I'm amusing myself to say I knew it. <laughs> um, my wife thought it was quite good, but and she's studied drama, so maybe she knows more than me. But I just think Eddie Redmayne wants you to know he's acting at all times. Anyway, the staging was excellent. The you know it was immersive, uh, and it was a great first kind of night back at the theatre because there were songs, there was dancing, there were Nazis. Um, yeah, there was a lot to love. I didn't love the Nazis. I hated them. Um, <laughs> Nazis make for a great musical, though, let's be honest. It's like Cabaret, the producers. <laughs> Good baddies, yeah. Good baddies, yeah. <laughs> Sound of music, how could I forget? <laughs> uh, and also, people keep presuming I paid a fortune for the tickets, but I was just on it when they went on sale, guys, and they were 50 quid each. To be, yeah, to be at the front and have dinner... Um, was is three hundred and fifty pounds per person, which is oh insane. Where do you eat dinner? In the Kit Kat Club and sort of while the show. Oh, I see what like, you mean. Yes. You don't like get it on your lap in the front row. And... You get a table. There, yeah. There's tables and lamps and things, and it was sort of immersive. A, a character tried to talk to me at one point, and I didn't play along. I oh no, 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 no! I'm no. not. What yeah, do you mean? I can't what, do you any just... of that theatre stuff. No, no, no. I'm like, I watch you. I do not interact. No. It was like in the interval, and things started, and the characters sort of weaved their way through the audience, and were talking to the audience, and I was like. No, you're paid to do this. I'm not getting involved. He thanked you for breaking the fourth wall and ruining it for everyone. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Billy, can I have your pick, please? Yeah, a bit of a bit of a downer actually. After all those really really good picks, but um, I just f felt really devastated the last couple of days of hearing the news about Jamal Edwards. Um, I think it's like just incredibly incredibly sad. But I just spent mm. all day today just going back over SBTV and like. It's just made me realise like how incredibly culturally important the work that he did was for the UK. I think you could argue he's like one of the most important people for the UK music scene ever. Um, the amount of people that he's put on and like started the careers. I mean, obviously, you, like the biggest one being Ed Sheeran and like Stormzy and people like that. But um, I thoroughly recommend everyone just going like through the back catalogue of SPTV because there is like it's an insane documentation of like the UK music scene. Um, and I'm really, really sad about his loss. Um, and then I haven't really watched anything because obviously a new Marvel trailer dropped at the Super Bowl. And I've just spent like, as always, just been going through like hours and hours of like YouTube videos, breaking down the trailer, like Doctor Strange 2 trailer, um, which I'm sure only Rose will appreciate is absolutely mad. And it's going to be the next big Marvel thing. And yeah, it looks as crazy as spider-man was so yeah really excited for that i've listened to three podcast episodes purely about a two-minute trailer which is probably a little bit sad but you know i think it's going to be a big deal so yeah um but yeah r.i.p jamal edwards because i was um 
really sad. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's a, it's also a reminder that we need to really cherish these people when they're here. And, you know, we don't just spend time eulogizing their impact and how they lifted up culture for us all, you know, after they've gone. And I think his impact will be felt for a long, long time. And yeah, I interviewed him a couple of times and was always just thoroughly charmed and blown away by his passion and intelligence and kindness. And Tom, I know you, you work with him a little bit as well, right? Yeah, he always, I sort of briefly worked with him and used to run into him at a lot of events and he did always have time for people. He'd always come over and say hello. Um, and yeah, as Billy said, incredible that the artists that he helped found that weren't, you know, it wasn't just about um, the UK rap scene or whatever, like Ed, Ed Sheeran's first break was was via Jamal and yeah, it's, it's really sad. It's really, really sad. And yeah, well, thanks for bringing him up, Billy. I think it's very important that we, we pay our respects. I think we should uh, we should round things off there, guys. Thank you ever so much for your company. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed going through the City game, just getting ever so slightly nervous about the two games upcoming and as ever talking, uh, talking about your wonderful culture picks. Um, Billy, see you soon, please. Up the Spurs.